spend my dollar. It's not about what you want, it's about what you're willing to do to get it. Run it again. Hello and welcome. I'm not going to, so quit asking. When you give me a hard time. For the listeners that didn't get to go. This is the payback. What you did last year really doesn't matter. Our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play. Hi. Hello and welcome to an okay Hyundai. I see you edition of the Alabama football podcast. Yep, I know it was Vanderbilt, but it was also the Tide's best performance of the season. And I would say right on time. Now, I didn't call it perfect, but if Alabama can build on this, well, Folks, now we're talking. This third offense, just like we do, and uh, we're going to talk about Bryce, just like we do. And it feels like today we maybe have a little bit more to say. Mr. Young was 25 of 36, just barely shy of 70% passing. There were no interceptions today. He had a couple last week, and he threw for 385. So it was the first game of the season where he really put up a big number. He did have four touchdowns. Now he's thrown for five touchdowns on the season, four still a big number. But when he threw for five, he was just in the 200 yards. Good day, not a great day. 385 with four touches, certainly a big day. The tight offense on as a whole uh, put up 628 yards. And so uh, Bryce was a significant contributor to to the total offensive production. 12 pass catchers on the day. Bryce didn't connect with all of those as we brought in other quarterbacks, but 12 pass catchers on the day, which is really, really nice. And there were eight pass catchers that had multiple, so at least two, some with more. So that was nice to to see the ball distribution there. You know, Coach coach made a point in his uh, post-game presser talking about RPOs, and sometimes we don't know, and, and you sort of paraphrasing coach uh, a little bit sometimes we don't know where the ball is going to go when it's snapped uh and and it's up to the quarterback to to read that and we put a lot on Bryce's shoulder in that regard that's my editorial but it's true and so coach makes the point of sometimes you know it's a run past option that's what the RPO is and we don't know until we see the alignment and the decision that the quarterback actually makes are we going to run this this play or are we going to pass and that can lead to a significant, you know, depending upon what the defense does, we saw a lot, a lot more passing activity. Uh, and then coach also made the point that play to play, even if we know it's a passing play, we don't always know where the ball is going to go. And again, that's, that's a lot of reading at uh, the line of scrimmage based on what the defense does and then how the receivers break open. So you can't just say run that pass route for a particular receiver. I'm convinced that that does still happen. That can still happen. And we see scheming uh, different offensive coordinators uh, to make that happen. We're going to put the ball uh, in a certain receiver's hands X X amount of time. So I still think some of that does still happen. But I like the organicness uh, of, you know, running an RPO and and letting the ball go where the defense will will allow it to go and have having success in that regard. And so I think we certainly saw that on Saturday. Uh, the passing game really opened up, and as Tide fans, that's something that that we've been looking for. Now you're going to have it's it's a knee jerk across the fan base, and so you're going to have a lot of people barking about, well, we didn't run the ball enough. And to that, I, I'm going to say, you know what, we can't even have an intelligent conversation. 
Uh, if we're going to get mad one week because we didn't we didn't think the, the passing game was effective, and then we're going to get mad the next week when the passing game sort of is off the chain, and now we're going to be mad at the running game. Those are those are fans. It's difficult to have an uh, intelligent conversation with that, though I'm willing to try. Uh, I was very pleased uh, personally to see the passing game really, really open up. And, and, and there's a complementariness to it. When the passing game opens up, then that's going to open up running lanes. And, and when the deep passing uh, opens up, that's going to allow uh, shallow uh, crosses. And, and we saw some of that. And, and I think there was sort of success uh, across the board. Uh, Ja'Cory Brooks. Who I will note, we gave the mini game ball to last week. Uh, he had a pair of catches last week and really looked like, you know, he might sort of be stepping into uh, into a role. And I would say he certainly had his biggest day or one of his biggest days. It's going to be tough to beat that Auburn game, uh, that catch that he had. But uh, he certainly had uh, production wise one of the, one of his uh, biggest days in Crimson. He had six catches for buck seventeen. It's the first time. The Titus had a receiver go for over 100, uh, and he had two touchdowns with a long of 34. So Ja'Cory Brooks really sort of emerged uh, on the scene and look forward to more big things uh, from him. I would say, uh, again, I, I'll defer to coach on the RPOs and not knowing where the receivers were going, uh, but there were a couple of receivers where it did seem that there was some intentionality in, uh, in getting the ball to them. Uh, or at least having them on the field, and let's go with the open uh, receiver. Ja'Cory Brooks certainly won. Jermaine Burton, he had a long of 48, uh, but he had four for 94. So we were intentionally getting him the ball. And Treshawn Holden had three catches for 45. He also had a touchdown. So a couple of receivers really putting up some big days, which was really nice to see. I thought Jace McClellan had a phenomenal day at the running back position. He was the starting running back, I would say. Uh, both uh, Gibbs and McClellan were in to start the game, so technically they were both starters. But uh, Jay saw a lot of the ball early. I think he had seven or eight touches before uh, Gibbs had his first, and Gibbs was spending a lot of that time lined up uh, out wide or, or in in, uh, in motion. So uh, that was nice to see. Jace himself had a pretty balanced day. He had a, uh, 11 carries for 78 yards and a touchdown. So he averaged just over seven and he had two receptions for 19. So that was something to see. If there's a hole in Jace's game on Saturday, it was his shoes. He needs to spat those up or tie them tight. Uh, he blew a shoe on uh, three different occasions uh, which was uh, was interesting, but uh, all the same, Jace had a really good day. Really demonstrated his skill set. Uh, Jameer Gibbs continues to just be dynamic, electric, all the uh, positive things that you would want to say, and he demonstrated that on really a limited number of touches. And we've talked about Gibbs being on a pitch count, but this, in in my mind, even uh, you know, even even less of a, you know a fewer fewer touches. He had six total. Uh, he had three rushing, 21 yards, so he averaged seven, and he had three touches in the passing game uh, for 43 yards, so he averaged about uh, just a shade over 14, and he had a touchdown. And there's a play I want to call out uh, for Gibbs, and, and and it's almost like a bad football movie type of play, on not on his touchdown reception, but on the play before the touchdown reception. So he had two plays in a row where he caught passes, and uh, like I said, the second one went for his touchdown. The play before the touchdown, 
he ran a, a little play and it looked like, like I said, sort of a bad football movie where they were trying to script, you know, people missing tackles. And over the course of, over the course of that play, counting the three Van, Vanderbilt defenders that it took to actually get Jace to the ground, there were seven of the 11, seven Vanderbilt defenders that ended up on the ground. There were two that were just Keystone cops uh, at the beginning of the play. One defender dove at Gibbs and missed. One had sort of overrun the play, and as he was sort of reaching back, he slid and fell. Uh, there was a defender that got a hold of Gibbs, had him by the ankles, and Gibbs was able to run out of it. And then there were three more guys that all converged to finally make the tackle, and all four of them, Gibbs included, ended up on the ground. So seven defenders on the ground uh, as they were trying to tackle Gibbs. Uh, again, that was that was fun to watch. I'd encourage you to go back and, and look at film on that. This is a little bit of a, a little bit of comedy in watching that. And then on offense, I really want to call out Jamarian Miller. He's a guy we talked about last week too that had a good day late in the game against La Moreau. And he's a guy that I sort of challenged as a fan base. Let's watch how the coaches use him. And and I would challenge the coaches on this to the extent that they would listen. But uh, uh, Miller's the kind of guy that is in, in a, just a world of talent, and but he's so far down on the depth chart that that can be frustrating to players. And you got and coach talks about this. You got to earn your spots. You got to earn your reps. You got to earn your opportunities. And uh, Jamarian is doing that. There's just so many talented guys ahead of him that it does truly create sort of an authentic logjam. Not that he has a bad attitude or anything, but it's such an authentic logjam. You figure, how do I get an opportunity? I may not get an opportunity. And then it's also the kind of you get that far five or six deep in the in the pecking order. Even fans start to overlook those players. And we look at the shiny objects that that come uh, come on next year's uh, sort of recruiting class because uh, there's a newness to that. And, and I understand all of this and I understand it. That's why I'm sort of calling it out and challenging us as fans to remember Jamarian Miller because he is such a talent and he is someone that we want to persist on the team because he's got a lot of talent and can and can only uh, serve the tide in the future. Well, Jamarian said, oh, that's nice and we appreciate it, but I'm going to demonstrate my uh, my capability and my contribution this season. In fact, I'm going to do it on Saturday. And what's impressive, you know, nine carries, 63 yards, that's certainly impressive. Uh, he had two touchdowns and uh, a long uh, – he had two touchdowns. He averaged seven yards a carry and had a long of 40 and and all of that is spectacular. It, it truly is. It put them in, in stat-wise at the top or near the top of the Alabama running backs. But what was impressive, and again, you can say it's Vanderbilt and you can say it's late in the game, but you can also not argue the fact that it was late in the game. We're handing the ball off to the freshman. Everyone knows where the ball is going. Just, uh, just key on Miller and you'll make the play. And even with all of those knowns, Jamarian was still just a beast uh, to bring down and long speed when he hit the corner. So hats off uh, to Jamarian Miller, future star at the running back position, no doubt. We can't escape offense without talking about the offensive line, and you could argue that we're burying the lead here. And you can't talk offensive line without talking about uh, Tyler Booker. He has really just put his name in the forefront of Alabama fans 
uh, especially those that are watching closely and, and watching the line play and, and the participants. He played multiple series at both uh, talking Tyler Booker here, a uh, true freshman, five stars from Connecticut, Connecticut uh, originally, but was down in Florida at the IMG Academy and uh, was a roommate with, uh, or not roommate, but a line mate with a teammate with uh, J.C. Latham, who is Alabama's right tackle. Well, Booker spent multiple reps or multiple series, I think he's seven series, with Alabama uh, on Saturday, six of those with uh, five or six of those series with uh, mixed in with the starters. Uh, he spent multiple series at both guard positions, so both the left uh, coming in for uh, Cohen and then at the right, Cohen coming back in and uh, Emil Ekior Emil uh, sliding out. And I don't know what I'm rooting for here other than just the best guy to play. And I think Booker is one of the best guys. Uh, he's certainly going to uh, prove that. Saban and his presser said that, that Booker is, and again, sort of paraphrasing, that Booker is creating competition at multiple positions across the offensive line. And that's exactly what you want. You want to turn up the heat. Not that we're mad at anyone, but how do we get the best out of everyone? And competition certainly does that. I think we have legit SEC caliber, maybe not first team, but second or third team. I think we have SEC, all SEC caliber. I think we have three all SEC caliber guards playing for two positions. And uh, it may be interesting to see how that plays out if we continue with uh, with a rotation or if we don't settle on on two. I believe if we do settle on two, uh, it'll be Booker. And so I'm betting Booker's one of the two or we continue to play three because I, I, you don't sit Booker the way he's playing. He reminds me of, and this is borderline sacrilege, but but I see it. I see it with my own eyes. He reminds me of a Landon Dickerson, who's just legendary in in his play. Booker plays with a tenacity, and he seeks out violence uh, multiple times, not just this week, but looking back at his play last week against La Moreau. And again, you can talk about the, the opponents, but you also talk about a willingness to just engage when it might not even be necessary. Landon Dickerson was known for I've, I'm, I'm blocking, I'm blocking, I'm blocking, I'm covering my space. No one's coming. I'm going to go help someone, and I'm not just going to go help and put my hands on a guy and just and 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 just do it for uh, theatrical purposes. I'm going to go in there, and I'm just going to knock the guy down because uh, he's not expecting me. He doesn't know that I'm coming. I'm going to come with force from the side. I'm just going to bowl the guy over. And Lander Dickerson would do that for sport, and uh, Tyler Booker has done that multiple times in his short Alabama career over the last couple of weeks. And that's a that's a level of violence. That's a level of, I'm just going to dominate you out of the play in, in an instant. That's really that sort of mean-spirited play that and, 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 and physicality that the coaching staff is, is seeking. And uh, so watch out for uh, Tyler, uh, Tyler Booker in that regard. He's going to continue to get more and more reps at the, uh, at the guard spots. For my money, uh, the center position remains unsettled. I'm not altogether. I'm not mad at Dalcourt in the way I was, you know, at the right tackle last year. But uh, I, I think that it's still unsettled. I think Seth can come and settle down the position. Uh, so I'm still predicting something there. Although I wouldn't be surprised if Emil Ekior doesn't start to get reps at the center position. 
and maybe he contributes to some competition uh, at the center. It did seem that Booker played a little more comfortable on the right side versus left, but it's hard to say. Uh, but uh, Booker looked comfortable uh, on the field, no doubt. A couple other sort of points I, I just want to spend a minute with. Um, uh, Jalen Milrow, backup quarterback, leading a 15-play drive, 87 yards, consuming almost seven and a half minutes uh, of the clock, late third, uh, early fourth. He overcame a third and 20, and that's, that is a full-team effort. I want to give Milrow credit for that, but that's a full-team effort. That's all 11 out there. And when you count the guys sort of rotating in and out, uh, it's closer to 15 or maybe 18. Uh, that's a full team effort. When Saban said he wants to see the backups play to a standard, that drive is that standard. And Milrow, he sort of is the face of it as the quarterback. That's the way it works. Again, he overcame a third and 20 with his legs, uh, but he had some nice touch passes. Uh, he had some nice reads on a couple of passes. And so uh, I like to see the backups play at that level, play at that standard. And I know the coaching staff uh, is super excited about that as well. Uh, the Cameron Latou injury that wasn't, thank goodness, I reserved every right to be just furious that we went for it on a fourth and 12, uh, a sort of a useless play, a useless possession, and that that was going to cost us Cameron Latou for the, for the season. The way that he went down, he didn't torque or twist his knee. It's just the way it hit the ground and in the way he was sort of carried off, not put in any weight. I was convinced that he was done. And uh, like I said, I reserved all right to just be absolutely enraged over that. Uh, and then a couple of plays later, uh, when Alabama got the ball back, uh, Latou was back on the field. And so I was so happy to, uh, so happy to see that. I understand uh, the mentality of fourth and 12, not fourth and 12, just in general, you always punt that away or kick the field goal, but when it's 4th and 12 at the Vanderbilt 36, you start to look at a 53-yard punt, maybe you have to, or, or field goal attempt, maybe you have to move it back a little further to, you know, to account for the trajectory that you need on a kick that long. And so you say, do we go for it, and maybe we'll get a rep at, in a game rep at this distance from a kick perspective, or do we go for it and see what we have offensively? And the way things were clicking, uh, you get a touchdown there and, and you come closer to putting the game away. You know, I can argue both sides of that. I felt at that point Alabama was just really just playing with house money, and I think the coaches felt the, the same way. They knew their defense, what certainly what it had been doing, what it was capable of. And uh, so I think that was sort of a house money play. But it was going to be infuriating that, that it was a house money sort of coin toss play that you lose someone like Cameron. And uh, like I said, fortunately, he came back in and uh, was good. I don't know what the right decision there uh, was. It, it was almost a big play. Uh, it was almost a touchdown. And then certainly it would have been nice to see. Uh, it would have been nice to see a long kick to see our guy make a, lo a long kick or Riker uh, make a long kick there. So. A little bit I'm playing the result. Uh, Latou wasn't hurt. He almost was and then wasn't. Uh, but uh, at any rate, uh, I'm sure there's a, a lot of different opinions on there. And and this is this is a, a topic or a situation where I certainly entertain both sides of, of that discussion. Uh, we're going to go to mini game ball on offense, and we're giving mini game ball to Isaiah Bond, another uh, freshman who's 
who's easing his way into the lineup. He's easing his way into uh, play more and more. Uh, all the reports are that he's a very natural route runner. And so a guy that can can carve out a niche, can carve out an opportunity. And it appears that he is doing that. Uh, on the uh, aforementioned 15 play, 87 yards, seven and a half minute scoring drive, Isaiah uh, had a critical third down conversion. And, uh, the you know, catching the ball over the middle and slicing through a couple defenders for a five-yard gain when four was needed was very impressive. And then he had a, a nice no-catch uh, at another point in the game. It looked like maybe the ball was tipped. And he ran as if to catch the ball, but he was just really sort of protecting the ball so that no one else could, uh, no one else would catch it, wouldn't be intercepted or, or anything. And so he's really playing more defense there. And he let the ball hit the ground. It cost him a reception, but we would have uh, Alabama would have lost yards on the play. So what he made was a smart football player, and it's nice to see any player do that. Uh, it's certainly uh, a true freshman who sometimes might get caught up and I don't get the ball very much. So I'm going to get this one, damn it, and try to make a play and show what I can do and yada, yada, yada. And he said, I'm just going to play smart football here. No one's going to catch this ball. We're going to let it drop and we're going to live to live to fight another down. There's a football sort of acumen that uh, intelligence, if you will, that he demonstrated there. And so hats off uh, mini game ball, Isaiah Bond. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. All right, let's flip the field of defense like we do. You know, it wasn't a shutout. Alabama allowed three points. But I'm going to spin that. I'm going to tell you I think that was a good thing. And uh, let's let's walk through and, and see how I sort of connect those dots. 129 total yards of offense allowed. Uh, Alabama put up, where did I put that stat, uh, 628 yards of offense. So it was a 499-yard differential uh, between offense, uh, Alabama's offensive production and the defensive yards uh, allowed, a 499-yard differential, uh, which is best for top five all-time uh, Alabama football. So that's pretty damn impressive. It doesn't matter who you play. Again, we can say Vanderbilt, but how many times have we played Vanderbilt over that time span? How many times have we played games or teams not as good as Vanderbilt over that time uh, time span? 
And for that to be fifth all time, the scale is such that you, you can't pin that on an individual uh, opponent. Uh, so I thought that was impressive. 129 total yards allowed, like we said, 115 passing and uh, 14 rushing. And that 14 rushing was on 20, uh, 26 carries. I know that accounts for sacks and quarterback, uh, the quarterback sacks, but it always does. It never doesn't. And so 14 yards net rushing on the game is pretty damn impressive. Vanderbilt had nine first downs. That's a small number in today's game. And Vanderbilt was one of 13 on third down conversions, and they were 0 for 1 on fourth down conversions. Like I said, Vanderbilt did score three points, and the irony irony is not lost on me that that was uh, that those points were scored by a former Alabama kicker. Vanderbilt scored. Here, here's where I'm going to say I'm going to uh, look. I'd rather have a shutout. Okay, so I'm not arguing that. But here's the positive that I'm going to take from this. Those three points came Vanderbilt's second possession of the game, uh, second or third possession. It was very, very early in the game when they were playing to their script and they were playing to their prep. This is what they had put in to create an opportunity for themselves uh, to be successful. And so those three points came on at the end of an 11-play drive where they produced 52 yards of offense, which, by the way, was 40% of their total offense. So when they were when they were running plays from a script with intentionality, these are the opportunities that we see to have uh, success against Alabama. On that single drive, they put up 40% uh, of their total offensive production, all of their points. And then I think that inspired, and I use sort of air quotes, playing from that confidence, hey, we might have something that, that – could maybe not win the game, but keep us in it. That inspired the next possession for Vanderbilt to go for it on fourth and one, where Will Anderson had, had a big sack uh, of A.J. Swan and, and, and prevented that. But from that point forward, here's the positive, right? We didn't just – Alabama just didn't dominate them from the beginning, which sounds like a negative. Vanderbilt had a plan, executed that plan, had some success at that plan, and never could replicate that. And so the Alabama defense made an adjustment, and Vanderbilt was dead in the water, no pun intended, at that point in time. So to me, that's impressive. There's something to that. It's not that they had a bad plan. They had a good plan. And when Alabama adjusted to it, no dice. There was no more of an opportunity. So uh, I take that as a positive. Again, call it spin, whatever, but uh, I certainly view that as, as a positive. We mentioned Will Anderson. He had two and a half sacks on the day. Uh, he had an incredible day. He was back to the Will Anderson, I would say, of last year. And I want to be careful because he's had some good games this season. But we spent a lot of times last year talking about his contribution being bigger than his stats. And I thought today was uh, was such a day where his contribution was bigger than his stats, even though he had two and a half sacks. Uh, Henry Toa Toa, his, his contribution – uh, was bigger than his stats, and I thought it was interesting that this came on the week, uh, the week after uh, DJ Dale calling uh, Henry Toa Toa just a genius in the defense in the, the linebacker position, calling out adjustments, calling out plays as the team is running them. Henry Toa Toa was making plays all over the field. We saw him in coverage. Uh, we saw him crashing the line of scrimmage. We saw him uh, attacking the running game. The fact that he only had six tackles for as many screens as uh, now I watch the game on TV. 
And so one thing I look for is how many times they do the different camera angles and replays and, and such. How many times do you see the same guys in the screen? And it's sort of an unofficial, not metric, but just unofficial guide. And the more you see a guy, especially on defense, in the screen from whatever the angle, then because they're the, the camera's following the ball. And so the more angles or the more times you see the same guys on the different uh, TV angles, then that tells you they're being very active. It's sort of an indicator, if you will, uh, that they're being very active. And so uh, for as active as Toa Toa was all over the field, and he had six six tackles, uh, one tackle for loss. To me, those are low numbers relative to his his contribution. He had a good play in coverage. Um, he had a play that I remember. He, he was a ta- he was he was man on man to man with the running back. And so the running back stepped up as if as if to like a, a fake run and Toa Toa was there to was there to meet him in the box. The running back ran, split out uh, running sort of a wheel route. So it was a fake it was a fake handoff uh, to get the uh, running back running a route. And Toa Toa was right there with him uh, stride for stride. And so that was a that was a nice uh, that was a nice play where he was handling his responsibilities, sort of a little bit of read react and uh, playing to his responsibilities. So again, very pleased with this play. Uh, Deontay Lawson, who's platooning, I'm using that word officially uh, with Jane uh, Jalen Moody. He also had six tackles uh, or participated in six tackles, and so that was that was sort of the high water mark for Alabama on Saturday. So he is certainly uh, it's another situation with Moody where for those inside linebacker spots where we have three legit players for two positions, just like we talk about the guards on offense. I think we have three legit players competing for two positions. So what does that mean? It means we have competition. It means we have a lot of quality. It means we have some backup if someone goes down. We're not rooting for that, certainly. Uh, but you'd rather have three competing for two rather than two competing for three, right? It's um, it's just math. But uh, we like to see Deontay Lawson continue to develop, and he's going to own the position come next spring, and that's exciting to see, too. We know a little bit of what we'll have there. Uh, Terrian Arnold seems to further, further entrench himself uh, at a quarterback position, our cornerback position. Talk about, you know, three guys playing for two positions. We've got four uh, cornerbacks playing for two positions. And uh, and Terrian seems to be edging out the competition. Uh, he did give up a back shoulder throw against Vanderbilt's leading uh, receiver, one of the leading receivers in the conference. So uh, no shame there. He's a taller receiver. Uh, but overall, Terrian had a, a really good day. And we like seeing him. Uh, and he wasn't the only cornerback that gave up a little bit of a throw. Uh, so we're certainly not mad at that, but, uh, Arnold having a tremendous performance and really carving out uh, a role for himself. So that's fun to see defensive front defensive line. There's so many names, uh, and, and we'll run through a couple of them just real quickly, but the defensive front, the defensive line as a whole is just playing lights out. Really, really impressive. Again, the scheme says that they're not going to rack up a bunch of tackles, but they're they're filling gaps. They're getting after the quarterback. They're affecting the quarterback. They're limiting uh, the success of the offense. And they are getting better and better as the season progresses, and that's certainly what we would hope. True freshman Jaheim Otis. Is just a uh, is just a beast. He had a just incredible run stuff on a third down. Uh, fought off two defenders. 
just sort of gap awareness. And then he stepped over to, to stuff the runner uh, for no gain on what was a third and short play. Uh, Tim Smith is, is just lighting it up, just a real physical uh, participant uh, on the inside. I love the play where, you know, I'm not a big fan of penalties, uh, but when he jumped off sides and, and the announce was right, he thought he had a, a key on the snap count and, uh, and it was a, it was a false key or, or, you know, whatever. But, uh, and so he burst uh, across the line of scrimmage off sides, knocked the center down. And he just, he just jogged to the sideline. He knew that I'm going to be out this play. Uh, so I thought that was kind of, that was kind of funny, but, um, but Tim Smith is number 50 is always a contributor, always bursting through the line of scrimmage, always giving lineman fits. Uh, so that's certainly, uh, certainly fun to see. Uh, DJ Dale, had a, had a, I call it a deer in the headlight sack, just like looked like the Red Sea parted and DJ Dale ran, uh, was able to burst through the line of scrimmage, uh, make a play on the quarterback. It looked like the quarterback just like froze uh, again, sort of deer in the headlights. Saw this 320 pound guy coming, so surely he's not unblocked and I should be able to maneuver away from him. And now all of a sudden I've been sacked. And so I thought that was interesting. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. And I'm going to stick with the theme of the defensive line, uh, but I'm going to extend a, a mini game ball to Justin Aboibe. This might be his second one of the season. I don't know. But Justin, again, we talked about stat lines for offense, uh, for the defense, Alabama defensive line. Uh, you know, don't expect sort of grandeur there. Uh, but Justin had three tackles, uh, half a tackle for a loss. He had uh, a, a one quarterback hurry. And just, and, and he's had, Almost every game, he's had a play where, you know, he tackles someone behind the line of scrimmage. He's stuffing a run. Uh, he doesn't have 15 of them, but he's had one every game. And you see him sort of celebrate. And um, and and it, and it just kind of dawned on me, you know, Justin Oboibe is a guy that a lot of fans don't know his name. A lot of he's 92. A lot of fans don't know uh, a lot about him. Would, couldn't pick him out of a lineup necessarily. But he makes a play at least one every single game. And it dawned on me that, you know, this guy's going to have an eight-year NFL career. And and you think, like, who's going to draft Justin Aboibe? Well, NFL scouts are because they're going to look at him and they're going to say he's a three-year starter at Alabama. And he never sort of was a highlight real guy. He was never sort of the, the bell cow of the defensive line. But, damn it, he started for Nick Saban defensive front three years and never didn't contribute. He had a year with injury, but when he would when he would come in and play, uh, he would play well and he would make plays. 
and certainly play to his role in the defense, which is equally as, as important. And I think over the next couple of weeks, Byron Young had uh, had an ankle sprain. Looks like a low ankle sprain. Uh, so that's what the reports are saying. So not a high ankle sprain, uh, which can take you out longer. And we do sort of the tightrope procedure on that. This looks more like a, I'm going to call it a run-of-the-mill sort of ankle sprain. He was carted off which always looks worse, but then he was back on the sideline uh, at one point with sort of crutches, which looked more like, you know, signaling, uh, but he was wearing flip-flops and no walking boot. And a little bit later he had a walking boot, but still wearing flip-flops. And so I've never seen uh, someone on crutches with flip-flops right after an injury with no tape or no boot or no nothing. And so it looks like Byron Young's going to be back. Will he play next week against Arkansas? I don't know. Will he be limited uh, potentially? And so where I'm going with this is we're glad Byron's going to be okay and that he's going to be back and he's going to contribute before the season. And he's someone that we thought really had an opportunity uh, for interior pass rush and such. But the point is Justin Aboibe is going to get probably most of those Byron Young snaps, and he will contribute. And so here are the next couple of weeks, people are going to say, Justin Boyle, who's this guy? And uh, that, that's sort of a, a little bit of a prediction there. But we're going to have hats off to Boyle for his performance against Vanderbilt. All right, let's look at uh, special teams. You know, it's almost, hey, guys, nothing to see here. Uh, there was no super flashy like there, uh, like there was against La Monroe. Uh, a couple of gaffes, but it sort of balanced out and it didn't really cost the tie. And so I'm not going to get too worked up about it. Uh, Will Reichert was two of two on his kicks. He had a long of 40 and then he hit uh, uh, seven PATs. Uh, you know, again, we talked about the long play on fourth and 12 from the Vanderbilt 36. Should the tide have, have attempted a field goal there? Again, we can argue both sides of that. It'd be neat for to look at this and say Rocket was three of three with a long of 54. That'd be cool. The coach has made a different decision, and uh, we're just glad Latou's not hurt. Burnup had, uh, I would say, a decent day. Uh, where when he His average day is better than his average day last year. I'll say that. And so he's he's kicking in, in, in a range, in a realm, that we can be satisfied with. It's not outstanding, but it's satisfactory and it's getting the job done. So he had two for 87. Uh, he averaged 43 and a half, had a long of 47. So that means he was sub 40 uh, on one, but a long of 47. That's nice. Uh, Kool-Aid McKinstry. Now the punt return uh, is where we had a, a couple of gaffes, but um, not altogether terrible. Uh, Kool-Aid McKinstry had five uh, punt returns for 91. We were high on his stock as a punt returner. He had an average of 18. Uh, that includes a long of 40 where he was really setting up the wall, and then the, the punter got him, and, uh, and, and Kool-Aid actually fumbled the ball, and so and it would lost the fumble. It was a 40-yard return on a – it was a 40-yard return on a 48 – yard punt. And so Vanderbilt gained eight yards on the punt, if you will. Uh, so it's frustrating. You don't, you don't want to see, uh, you don't want to see a punt return. Saban emphasized last week, what about the punt, punt game? And he said, possess the ball. That's the key. You got to possess the ball. Now we want to gain yards on top of that, but possess the ball. And so what do we do right after an outstanding uh, punt, uh, punt return game? Uh, we fumbled the ball and, and lose it. Uh, so that's certainly frustrating. And then uh, subsequent to that, we fumble Brian Branches in. Uh, he fumbles. 
and Malachi Moore, fortunately, is there to recover. So Alabama still possesses uh, the ball, but uh, there's a couple of fumbles there. So I don't know if the guys are reading their press. Uh, punt returners uh, as punt returners after the big day against La Monroe, but uh, certainly an opportunity to clean some stuff up there. Uh, those are the kinds of plays that can cost you a game. Uh, we jokingly say Vanderbilt gained eight yards on the punt, and there's that sort of extended possession. They punted for, uh, they punted again four plays later. Uh, so it was sort of off or not. But reality is, you give uh, a team that second possession, that extra possession, uh, you give them that mulligan. Uh, boy, we've seen that over the years. It's on the mulligan where they score. We talk about uh, the Texas game where a penalty on third down gives Texas a, a, a first down and Texas goes on to score. And so what we need to do is clean that up. It's sloppy. We don't need it. It didn't hurt us, but it's a learning opportunity. Uh, and so that's that's where we need to focus attention there. All right, so what's next up for Alabama? You know, I some will say, and I will agree, that we're getting into the meat of the schedule. We've got a, a couple of a serious, uh, serious games over this uh, next stretch, starting off with Arkansas in Fayetteville. And so, and I think that's officially how you have to say it. It's not uh, Fayetteville, it's Fayetteville. Uh, so I think you have to, I, I think that's sort of the registered pronunciation for Arkansas Fayetteville. Uh, so nonetheless, uh, Alabama travels to uh, Arkansas next week. And I'm going to tell you, it's a very disappointing loss at, for uh, Hog fans. It has to be uh, the way that they lost in Dallas to Texas A&M. And uh, so they may have sort of a tough sort of bounce back. I give Sam Pittman a lot of credit. Uh, I think they're going to be ready to play, and he's going to have them ready to play. Uh, K.J. Jefferson, I think, is a very talented quarterback and really gave Alabama more than we wanted last year in Tuscaloosa. And so to, to have them in Arkansas, I think, is going to be a tough a tough measure. Now, the Hog defense has been a little porous. They're, they are averaging, allowing 26 points. I'd say Alabama is going to be better than average. And they are allowing, averaging 401 yards uh, on defense. And again, I think Alabama is going to be a little, a, has the opportunity to be better than average given the other opponents that uh, the Hogs have faced. Take nothing away from Drew Sanders, Alabama transfer, who is absolutely lighting it up uh, for Arkansas. I wish he was still playing with the Tide. Uh, of the guys that sort of transferred in and transferred out, you always want to win the transfer uh, portal, if you will. And on the whole, I think Alabama did and has. But if there's that one that got away that you wish that hadn't, uh, it'd certainly be Drew Sanders out of last year's class. I'm predicting and I'm, I'm sort of kind of looking at averages. Uh, I'm also looking at the strength of the Alabama uh, defense. Uh, I am I'm predicting that that Alabama's going to score more than what Arkansas is allowing. And I think Alabama defense is going to hold Arkansas to about half of what they're scoring. And, uh, and so I net out probably a generous Alabama uh, score, but I net out with a 42-17 to 17, uh, sort of prediction. Uh, I reserve the right to tighten that up as we get closer to the game because I appreciate the process that I used to come up with 42-17, but it feels, like, it feels like a bigger margin. And so if you said it was 35-17, to 17, something in that range, uh, that probably as we get into Saturday, I might, I might tighten it up in, in that regard. All right. At any rate, appreciate you listening. Uh, we really, really do. 
uh, if I ticked anyone off earlier with with my sort of my commentary on the on the offensive play calling, man, I, I mean, I'm not trying, I'm not here to do that necessarily, but let's let's talk about it. Let's let's engage, man. Join us on a Zoom call and just let me light me up. Let's do it. Drop me an email. Send me a. Uh, a Facebook or, uh, or, or whatever. Uh, I'm, I'm here for that. It's all about engaging, sharing different opinions. And uh, it's boring if we all have the same opinion. So I have mine and I'm happy to uh, discuss yours. So that'd be great. Uh, look forward to that. Getting on the Zoom call is super silly easy. Just go to uh, Alabama football uh, podcast.com and just join our support group and you can do it for $2. So for $2, you can join next week's zoom call and light me up in front of an audience. That'd be great. I would love that. And if, if you enjoy that experience and I uh, want to come back and do it week after week, then you know what? That's cool too. So at any rate, if you enjoy just listening, then we certainly appreciate that. And uh, if there's one ask uh, it's go to your download machine and leave us a review. We like the five stars so people can find us, but uh, leave us an authentic review. And uh, we certainly appreciate every one of those. I need to get back in the habit of reading some of those. Uh, there was a really nice review after our first, I think it was the, uh, whatever it was, our preseason shows. Uh, someone had commented that glad to see us back and left us a review. So we certainly appreciate that and welcome uh, your reviews as well. All right, enough of that. Uh, this has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast, Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just to shout out a Roll Tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, T-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tie. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.